The following podcast is a presentation of the PTB Media Network. Come on in. What is up, PTV Nation? It's Throwback Thursday, and you know what that means. Class is in session. It's another American soccer history class here on the PTV Media Network. This is Birth of a Soccer Nation. How's everyone doing this week? Uh, We're three episodes in. Tonight is our third episode, and what we're going to do tonight, we're just going to stay in the era we've been talking about, all right? So in the first two episodes, we talked about 1967 to 1970 and the birth of the NASL, okay? But it's also important to know that soccer history, U.S. soccer history, is not just professional soccer, not just professional football, okay? And tonight, we're going to look at the other side of the game, which is very, very important to the history of the game in this great country of ours. We're going to talk about two teams in particular, I think, are going to be the key focus tonight. And um, one of them is the New York Greek Americans, okay? You're going to know who they are by the end of this episode. And also the St. Louis Billikens. Yeah, St. Louis University, the SLU Billikens. These two teams would dominate the amateur side of the game uh, nationally in the years we're talking about, the time frame we're talking about of the late 1960s. We're not going to leave the 60s just yet. We're going we're gonna to talk about the amateur side of the game tonight. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open Cup, or as it was called in those days, the National Challenge Cup. It's, it's fascinating. I've got newspaper articles to go through with you guys tonight. And we're also going to talk about the NCAA college soccer. It holds a very, very important place in the history of the game in this country like it does in every sport in this country. And we cannot forget it, especially here in, in, at this point in 1960s and 70s. There will be a point in the timeline here of the story in the timeline of this podcast where NCAA soccer is going to be the highest level of soccer being played in this country, at least in terms of visibility and in terms of awareness of the general public. So we definitely are not going to leave it out in the out of the story because it's an important part of the story. And to be honest, just to give you a little bit of a background, the collegiate game is what brought football here or soccer here. I, you can call it whatever you want because you know what? At this point, when it arrived, it was the same game virtually. All right. The very first, co- what's credited as the very first college football game, and I'm talking American football for a second here, in the United States, okay, between Princeton and Rutgers looked a lot more like a soccer game than it looked like what gridiron football that you would watch on Saturdays in the fall on college campuses now. So uh, the game came over with the name football. And for a long time, football was referring to both sports. Association football eventually gets the nickname soccer, okay? That's where soccer comes from. It comes from association football. So you had gridiron football and association football. And, of course, the name association football came 
from England with the game here to America. But you fast forward now, and we're going to go to 1967. But before we get into tonight's material, I know in the last episode I had talked about uh, recapping and, and watching and reviewing the Manchester City versus Atlanta Chiefs friendly. And just to show you um, how incompetent of a professor I am here, um, I did not get that done in time for the podcast tonight. Okay, so that will drop sometime between right now when you're listening and between the next episode uh, of Birth of a Soccer Nation. So between now and the next throwback Thursday. All right, but that will be the bow that we will put on the 1960s. And we'll talk about that game. And really, after that, we're going into the 70s. We're leaving the 60s behind. And we're going to witness what will come to be a absolute golden decade for the game in the United States and Canada as well. Because Canada's history is tied to ours here in America. There's no denying it. We already talked about the NASL. Toronto is there. The NA, or the USA and the NPSL, which merged to become the NASL, like we talked about in the first two episodes. Toronto is there from the start. Vancouver comes in into the picture very early, and you'll see as the game explodes. Canadian cities also are a big part of that explosion. And when we get to later parts in history, we will see the rise of the Canadian national team. That's also going to make its way into this podcast because even though it's Canada, it is an important part of the growth of the game. And maybe this should have been called the birth of a soccer continent rather than a nation. But listen, United States and Canada's his sports histories are intertwined. So um, there will be Canadian content on this podcast in the future. But now... 1967 is where we're picking up, okay, and we're talking about the U.S. Open Cup or the National Challenge Cup, as it was called in those days. Now, the the cup had been going on for a, quite some time, okay. I've I've talked briefly about it in the past. I've talked about I've talked about you know the the dominating teams of the 1920s and 30s, of course. Bethlehem Steel come to mind. Fall River Marksmen, um, you know. Any number of teams in St. Louis come to mind. St. Louis really a hotbed of soccer right from the get-go. Really um, Italian immigrants and German immigrants bringing it with them and blowing the game up. Now, here in 2023 and for the past 20, 30 years, really for my entire lifespan, okay, um, from the 80s on Onward, I would say from the early 80s onward, um, after the NASL boom, soccer is looked at as a mostly middle-class to upper-class suburban game in this country. Well, in the era we're talking about here in 1967, soccer is actually much more of an urban sport. Okay, It's an urban immigrant game. And I talked a little bit about this in the past. You have ethnic teams, okay, and ethnic teams are are still the largest organized clubs in the United States of America in the game of soccer. And um, this this U.S. Open Cup will show that here. The history of this U.S. Open Cup definitely shows that. And as we look at the 1967 season, okay, it was then, as I said, called the National Challenge Cup. It It didn't get the name of the U.S. Open Cup just yet. Um, and they played for what was called the Dewar Trophy. 
which is uh, the original U.S. Open Cup, which I believe sits in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame today. I'm not exactly certain. It did at one time. Then the Hall of Fame closed down in Oneonta, New York. I believe it's been um, resurrected, and it's now at Toyota Park in Frisco, Texas, uh, where the FC Dallas play their home matches. But uh, I'm not exactly sure. But here we go. We're going into 1967, and we have... We don't get the information, I should say, we don't get the information of all the qualifying games, all of the local tournaments to get into what we call the National Challenge Cup. This, the 1967 edition, is the 54th annual National Open Soccer Championship. Um, interestingly enough, as I record this, round one of this year's U.S. Open Cup is going on right now as I speak. Matches are up on YouTube and... Um, YouTube, I am happy, is the home, uh, at least in these early rounds. I'm not sure what's going to happen when the MLS teams come into play and when we get to the late rounds of the Open Cup. But here in 1967, there is no television in the Open Cup, okay, in the National Challenge Cup, as they called it. There is no radio, okay. The the new leagues, okay, we think in 1967, the United Soccer Association and the National Professional Soccer League, they have media contracts. There's no media contracts for these amateur teams. And they may have been amateur in name only as well, I will tell you right now. Um, it would not shock me to find out that these players were making decent money here in this time frame. And it would not shock me. We we met a couple characters last episode. We met Renato, uh, Renato Costa who also went by the name of Raul Herrera. All right. We met Kiriakos Apostolidis, okay? And um, uh, Kiriakos, I believe, was playing in this competition uh, as a college student playing for the San Francisco Greek Americans, if I remember correctly. And it wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, took part in this edition of the tournament in either the qualifying stages or here in the tournament proper, at least as history tells it. Okay, and this is courtesy of the official website of the tournament. It is HTTPS semicolon slash slash thecup.us. They have results of all of these different, uh, all these different U.S. Open Cup matches. Uh, they pick it up at the quarterfinals. If you go to Wikipedia, they pick it up at the round of 16. So I'm going to go with the round of 16 here. Okay. And in the round of 16, we have two New York teams getting buys to the quarterfinals. So the New York Greek Americans, they get a buy to the quarterfinals, as does a Blue Star. Okay. And um, Blue Star is another, I believe they're an Italian team, uh, an Italian-American team out of the New York area. Down in New Jersey, we have Patterson Romas. Okay, um, you can tell by the name, an Italian American team. They also receive a bye to the round of sixteen. I mean, to the quarterfinals. Excuse me. But we do have a round of sixteen matchup here, and um, just to give you some, some background here, um, and actually, I I will start before we get into this very tournament. Um, the New York Greek Americans are the 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 dominant team in this competition in the entire uh, period of time we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the New York Greek Americans first, okay? Uh, they were formerly known as the New York Greek American Atlas 
Astoria Soccer Club. That is a long name, but they come from Astoria, Queens. Okay, a Greek, uh, a Greek American club out of Astoria in, Queen, in in the borough of Queens in New York City. Okay, they were formed in 1941. So already here, they have over 20 years of history here in the late 1960s. They're they're actually approaching their 30th anniversary by the end of our of our timeline tonight. They were founded by a Greek American named Tom Laudis, and uh, he's not to be confused with a man of the same name you're going to find on Wikipedia. That was a marathon runner born in 1940. There's no way. One year later, he founded. Uh, the Greek American uh, team, the New York Greek Americans. Uh, but this club would become one of the most successful and longest continuously operating clubs in American soccer history. Today, they are still around. So this club is sitting here with 82 years of history. Okay, Nobody in Major League Soccer can touch that. Not the, not even the clubs that survived from, or you know, the identities. They're not really the same clubs, but the... The identities that survived from the NASL, I'm talking about the Sounders, the Timbers, okay? Or in the USL, you have the Rowdies, okay? You had the resurrection of the New York Cosmos recently. None of those teams can boast an 82-year history like the New York Greek Americans. They are still in existence today, like I said. And they currently play in both the Eastern Premier Soccer League, which is a semi-pro fifth U.S. 5th Division League, which is the top level of amateur soccer, okay, and it is semi-pro, so there's professionals and amateurs playing together uh, in those leagues that basically covers a region from Connecticut to Maryland, okay, that's more or less where the Eastern uh, Premier Soccer League um, competes in, they play in that league, and they also compete in the Cosmo, the famous Cosmopolitan Soccer League, and really the Cosmopolitan Soccer League could could be a podcast episode unto itself, and maybe that's a bonus episode someday. The Cosmopolitan League also is still in existence today. Okay, it is in the greater New York uh, area, and uh, it you know it's very good. It's, it's a very good soccer league. Let me tell you right now, there's a lot of top players, ex-professionals playing in that league. Um, it's still in existence. It's actually the Cosmopolitan Soccer League is celebrating its centenary this year. It is celebrating its 100th anniversary. And it, it, it also consists of semi-pro and amateur teams based in and around New York City. Uh, it was established, like I said, in 1923. It's one of the oldest soccer leagues in the United States and has contributed greatly to the nation's soccer history. Currently, the league has four open divisions. The first two divisions require all clubs to also field reserve teams, a requirement that some leagues have abolished, but which the Cosmopolitan League believes makes its competition some of the strongest in the United States. The league also has an over 30 and over 40 division uh, for old guys like me um, to perhaps uh, still get a run in. The league is part of the USASA, the United States Adult Soccer Association, which is the governing body for amateur soccer in the United States. Okay, uh, The top level of the USASA, or the top leagues affiliated with the USASA, are considered the fifth division here in the United States. So it is the equivalent of the National League in 
in England in terms of its position in the pyramid. Of course, the National League is a professional league in England. The fifth division is professional in England and America. It is semi-professional and or amateur. Okay. Um, the Cosmopolitan League plays a traditional international schedule with competition beginning in the second week of September running through June with the winter break from late December to early March, and during the winter months, the league runs an indoor tournament due to New York's cold climate. Okay, kind of the reverse calendar that we run in this country and that we have run in this country going back to, you know, the founding of professional soccer as we ha- as we talked about in the first two episodes of this podcast. So they play the reverse uh, calendar. Um, it was started... As the German-American Soccer League in 1923. In 1927, it changed its name to the German-American Football Association. The league was highly successful in the 1920s in, in New York and was behind only baseball and basketball in terms of popularity. The league struggled like everything through the Great Depression and by the 1940s was viewed by soccer uh, became to be viewed by most Americans as an ethnic sport. So this is also important. Prior to that, uh, prior to World War II, soccer was very... There's a great uh, YouTube video out there, too. I watched this on... I forget exactly... Uh, I think what I searched was just history of New York City soccer or soccer in New York City. And it brings you to to this video. And it talks about, you know... In the 1920s and 1930s, only baseball was more popular than soccer, association football in this country. It was actually more popular than American football. We don't get told this today. This is this may come as news to everybody listening, okay? We don't really uh, get a chance to hear that today. And it's not acknowledged by you know, academia or mainstream media, especially mainstream media that has a bias towards American football and um, mainly American football. That is that is where um, a lot of the money goes today. It is the national sport today. There's no question it has far surpassed baseball um, and basketball, hockey and and uh, soccer, you know, have always lagged behind. Soccer really would disappear in the course of the timeline we're talking about Um from World War II up until where we're going to be soon, soccer disappears and starts to slowly make a comeback. And uh, here we are now as we move into the 1960s. And here's that's a little story for the the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, which today holds uh, is home to one of the again most historic, um, one of the most historic soccer clubs in the United States of America and you know there is an affiliation here with the Eastern Premier Soccer League as well and the New York Greek Americans join clubs such as FC Westchester, Lansdowne Yonkers FC, uh, New York Panshiprian Freedoms, Sporting Astoria now known as New Amsterdam FC and then in in Division 1 you have you have Hoboken FC, Manhattan Celtic, New York Greek Americans 2, New York Shamrocks. Uh, you just historic clubs up and down. New York Ukrainian soccer club. You you have historic clubs up and down the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, which uh, you know is is the home for for a lot of these historic clubs in in and around the New York area. But the the most historic, at least for the years we're talking about, is the New York Greek Americans. All right, and um, 
they all they uh, the New York Greek Americans along with the Seattle Sounders, the modern day Sounders, not the NASL Sounders, the MLS Sounders, are the only clubs to ever win the what we today call the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, or as it was called in the sixth in 1967, the National Challenge Cup, three years in a row. There's only been two three peats. 67, 68, and 69, which we're talking about tonight, New York Greek Americans. And the three that were won about a decade ago, I believe it was in the first three years of the existence of the modern Seattle Sounders FC. Um, The Greek Americans would add another U.S. Open Cup. um, For a fourth time, they would win the competition in 1974, and they would be runner-up in 1989. New York Greek Americans would participate in the CONCACAF Champions Cup on three occasions by virtue of winning this competition. They would appear in the CONCACAF Champions Cup in 1968, 1970, and then again in 1990 as the runners-up from the 1989 edition. They play their home matches at the historic Metropolitan Oval in Queens. And also I found in my research um, in reading a lot of the... Newspaper articles that I read in preparation for this episode. It also gets referred to as the Eintracht Oval. At least I'm assuming it's the same place. I couldn't find a definite answer. I looked around. If somebody listening happens to be familiar with New York City and with the soccer scene there. And, you know, any New Yorker, if you can just confirm for me if the Eintracht Oval and the Metropolitan Oval out of the same facility. I'm going to treat them as if they are because all signs point to that until someone can correct me i'm going to assume they are the same place the 1967 uh challenge cup like we said the greek americans as i said a little while ago uh received a bye to the round of, in the round of 16 to the quarterfinals as did their fellow new york side blue blue star um and new jersey's patterson romas other round of 16 results now okay starting on April on March 5th was the first matchup actually. Two matches played on March 5th, 1967, played out on the West Coast as the round of 16 of this competition. You had the San Francisco Greek American, okay, same name, different city, which I'm led to believe in and actually I yeah, I am led to believe featured Kenny Kyria or Kyriakos Kenny Apostolides who we talked about in episode 2. Um, they took on the Seattle Hungarians in San Francisco at Balboa Stadium, another historic location for sports. And a lot of these matches were played in historic par- parks that today are national, are, you know, they're in the National Registry of Historic uh, Locations. The, the San Francisco Greek Americans would beat the Seattle Hungarians 1-0 and advance to the quarterfinals. This was on March 5th. Also, that same day, at the other end of California, in the Los Angeles Orange County Soccer Club, which is also still in existence today, uh, hosted the Los Angeles Soccer Club. And Orange County would win 2-1 and advance to a quarterfinal matchup with the aforementioned San Francisco uh, Greek American. Now, they would also play the first of the quarterfinals. Now, for some reason, and there is absolutely no explanation for this almost anywhere, 
Um, I really should have reached out maybe to some more soccer historians, and maybe they could have answered this for me. But uh, this particular quarterfinal tie was played over two legs. It's the only one. Only this this one was played over two legs. I'm assuming the two teams agreed to play two matches, uh, probably to have one at home and try to get a big crowd. I'm not sure here. But the San Francisco Greek Americans and the Orange County, the Orange County Soccer Club would face off on March the 13th. And uh, that would be the first leg of their Open Cup quarterfinal. And I do have a newspaper article here uh, from the San Francisco Examiner on Monday, March the 13th, 1967. It's written by a writer named Bob Hall. And it's 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 short, but it does provide a little bit of, of information um, about this match here. And it, it's cool. You can see, you can see it here again. Newspapers.com has been an, uh, an invaluable uh, resource for this. And wait till I tell you what it's sharing the column with here in this in this uh, spread in the San Francisco Examiner. It's on page fifty four from that uh, day's edition of the Examiner. But the he- the headline reads: "Rain proves a boon for Greek booters." Again, I applaud the effort. I think they're trying, but these writers had absolutely no idea really about anything that had to do with our version of football. But again, um, this is a game, like I said, this is a largely working class inner city game in America at this time, played by recent immigrants or first generation Americans who grew up watching their dads play in these leagues or back in an old country. So the article starts off here with Into each life of little rain must fall, according to some ancient weathermen. That's how he starts the article. But that isn't necessarily bad. And the Greek-American soccer team, that's all he refers to the San Francisco Greek-Americans are. The Greek-American soccer team is grateful for today for the moisture that pelted down on yesterday's Challenge Cup match at Balboa Stadium against Orange County. The Greeks proved superior mutters. And ran away with the match 3-1. to one. Only wingmen. So he's calling the wing. And again, I, I you know, it's funny because I, I talked about this name. I, I hypothesized and I had forgotten that I, it was in here. But he, listen to this. Only the wingmen, Sinan Doherty, Delorhi, excuse me, and Kirk Apostolides, also known as Kyriakos Apostolides, also a star player in the new NASL or a year later, two years later in the NASL, okay, um, showed badly in the U. So our friend Mr. Apostolides didn't even play well in this match. But it's funny that in three episodes his name has now surfaced twice. And that could have been, it says, and that could be a good sign. When the second game of the home-and-home series is played down south, as they refer to Orange County, next Sunday, the field will probably be dry, and these speedsters should show better, should show to better advantage. So that is what they have to say about it. And then it gets gets quirky here, and this is just, uh, this is the great 
part of 1960s sports writing, uh, local action here. Seagull Convention is the subheading now, and it says yesterday's match was entertaining for the few spectators. Drenching rain fell, followed by hail. The proverbial dog, a spaniel, broke loose to cavort in the puddles. Showing speed and better footing than any of the players. Funny. Uh, a recent CONCACAF Champions League game took place. Uh, it was the Philadelphia Union when they were playing down in El Salvador against Alianza. Where a, a dog also got loose and came onto the field. And took the ball from the Philadelphia Union. And here in 1967, a Cocker Spaniel uh, finds its way onto the pitch. And at one point, it said 5,000 seagulls wheeled overhead seeking a spot for a convention. You can't make this stuff up. Can you imagine this in sports in sports texts today? Can you imagine? A bar, uh, this sounds like it's from The Onion or from Barstool Sports or something ridiculous like that. Uh, Turtle Boy, one of those types of uh, publications. But no, this is the San Francisco Examiner. Orange County played valiantly, but the Greeks controlled most of the play. Tom Dawkins hit the net early, but the score was nullified because of an offside. Then Peter Bauer scored on a penalty kick in the 35th minute. After halftime rest, after the halftime rest, Dawkins nudged in a goal in the fifth minute, and Attila Sandor broke behind. The Orangemen to score a pretty shot in the 26th minute. Sergio Mora got the Southerners on the scoreboard in the 34th minute, but only after goalie Gary DeLong and defenseman Bob Hughes and George Cartmel had sprawled in the mud in front of him. Talks about laundry bills is the next subheading here. The contest was fast and exciting, but the laundry bill this week will be higher. <laughs> In those days, teams, I guess, had to, they would take their kits to the laundromat, I'm assuming. They're probably wearing sweaters, too. Remember, this is 1967, so their uniforms are probably made of either wool or of, um, I don't know if they're made of polyester yet. I don't know what they would have been made of, but I can imagine them being real itchy and heavy. <laughs> sweater-like uniforms, especially in March, even in California. And it says that Bauer and George Krushank were tremendous for the winners. Fred Cameron at right half, best for the losers, that being Orange County. Since the two-game series will be decided on total goals, good job he explains aggregate here to the readers, the Greeks hold a decided advantage. They can lose by a goal down south and still pick up the marbles, representing the West Coast in the Challenge Cup's final round of four. So they acknowledge this is a quarterfinal, and it's, a, in a sense, a Western regional uh, final to go to the you know, the proverbial final four, if you will. Only one game was played because of the weather. Fans will now turn their thoughts to the next big contest. Listen to this. So in case you think that this idea of bringing in uh, European or South American teams and trying to... Uh, Trying to get a buck off of it is something new. Keep in mind, this is March of 1967, and he can't finish talking about this amateur quarterfinal first leg without 
doing a little marketing here at the end. And he says that the soccer community will turn its thoughts to the next big contest on the local schedule. And that is between Roma of Italy and Flamengo of Brazil to be played at Kizar Stadium on Thursday night, March 23rd. So even back then, these clubs are coming to America in March, no less. Roma is coming to the United States in March in the middle of their season or in the tail end of their season to play a friendly against Flamengo all the way in San Francisco. This isn't in New York. This is in this is in San Francisco historic Kizar Stadium, which was home of uh, the San Francisco. I can't remember what they call themselves. The last NASL champion of the modern NASL Uh I know they were San Francisco, and I don't remember what they called themselves. But uh, the last NASL final match was played at Kizar Stadium. At this time in the 19, in 1967, it was home to the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, here you see Flamengo and Brazil are gonna are gonna now. It makes sense for Flamengo knowing the Brazilian uh, soccer calendar starts in the calendar. You know, in the it, it goes along the calendar year. And finishes in the month of December. But for the Italians, they must have come for some really good money. I have to imagine the local promoters were paying very well. And I would imagine that the stadium was going to be full of Italian and Brazilians that Thursday night at Kizar Stadium in San Francisco. Some of the things that they share the sports page with here in the Examiner. Uh, you see... You see, yeah, there's not, not much going on this Monday. Baseball hadn't started yet, and uh, I'm assuming that San Francisco, uh, that the Warriors would be somewhere in this in this this spot in this newspaper talking, of course, about the San Francisco Warriors now Golden State Warriors of the NBA. But the next page does actually have more soccer coverage. Soccer, again, if you talk to a modern sports personality, you know, media member, you would think that soccer arrived in the United States when Pele began to play. Pele came to play. Here is several years before. And after we read about the amateur match, we're going to hear about the California Clippers. Okay. Um, another soccer, a professional soccer team, which we mentioned last week. And they're talking about their new goalie, Mirko Stojanovic. Um, a good-looking goalie who joined from Red Star Belgrade and has a burning desire to learn English and discover America. He wants to help the National Professional Soccer League get off the ground. We talked about the National Professional Soccer League last year. Last week, excuse me. Further down, we see a continued story. I said the Warriors might be here. Well, it says the deadline years. Apparently, there was an NBA strike looming here in late 1967. And also, there's news of an NFL trade as San Diego trades off star back to Buffalo. That star would be running back Keith Lincoln. Uh, and that is the NFL. And they would be making uh, a trade. But this is where s soccer was right there with everything else here in, uh, in these publications at this time. So the first leg, anyway, ends up 3-1 in favor of the Greek-Americans. So a week later, they meet in Orange County. And let's 
move forward a week, why don't we, to March 20th, and I have it here. I have also a, a photo, which this photo I'm going to post to the PTB Media Network's uh, Instagram page. I posted one earlier of um, something we're going to talk about a little bit later on in this episode. But as you can see, uh, as you can see, if you go there, uh, there was newspaper coverage. But here in the Los Angeles Times, March 20th, Monday, March the 20th, 1967. And on page 39 is a huge picture. And it is a picture of Orange County's Bayardo Abunza, as it says. And again, I'll post this to the Instagram but it says, Bayardo Abunza of Orange County collides with John Davidson of San Francisco Greek American Sunday in the final game of the U.S. Open Cup. Now, there's that term we use today, used here in the L.A. media, soccer regionals at Wrigley Field. So I did some research also on that. And it turns out L.A.'s Wrigley Field. Okay, I got a little bit of information about that. Los Angeles... It's obviously not the Wrigley Field in Chicago where uh, the Chicago Sting would play some home games much later, about a decade later or more. But it is a field that I believe is still there today. Um, let's see here. No, it was a ballpark. This was a this Wrigley Field was a baseball park, okay? And it says that Wrigley Field was a ballpark in Los Angeles, California that hosted minor league baseball teams in the region for more than 30 years. It was the home park for the minor leagues Los Angeles Angels, the precursor to today's Los Angeles Angels during their run in the famous Pacific Coast League as well as the inaugural season of major league of the major league team with the same name. So in 1961, 6 years before this match we're talking about, this was a major league baseball field. And here you have here you have Orange County uh, SC playing their national, you know, national cup knockout tournament quarterfinal at this field. And um, again, on the next page, uh, there is the write up, and I'm pulling that up right now. It's actually two pages later, so you get a big picture on page 39. But on page 42 is the write up, and um, it says here Cameron's four goals pace Orange County. Five to one. So the three-one aggregate lead that the San Francisco Greek Americans brought in to this contest does not hold up. the The article reads that All American Freddie Cameron put a one man put on a one man show, scoring four goals for Orange County to lift them to a five-one victory over the San Francisco Greek Americans in the Western Regional Championship in the U.S. Open Cup. Remember, we're talking about the San Francisco Greek Americans here, not the New York Greek Americans who much of this podcast is going to be dedicated to. Moving forward, it does say Cameron's third goal came came with six minutes left to play and gave Orange County a 3-1 lead in forced overtime. So they finished 4-4 on aggregate and went to what we today call extra time. At the end of regulation, Orange County had the lead, but the two teams, it explains here, were tied 4-4 in total goals. Cameron scored in the 15th minute of the overtime, and teammate Warner Mata sewed things up by booting through the goal 
number five for the defending Western champs. So we're being we're learning here that Orange County is again winning the Western Regional and heading to the final four of this National Challenge Cup. Um, played at Wrigley Field before a disappointing turnout of 700. I watched some open a little bit of an open cup match from California this afternoon, and there were not 700 people there watching up to you know to uh, it was international of San Francisco playing against uh, somebody else, and um, no, there were not 700 people there. So it it's it's disappointing, but uh, it is it is a a turnout. Um, anyone who's run lower league soccer in this country, who's, who's done anything in it knows that it can be very, very hard to even get 700 people to turn up for a, a USL two match for an NPSL match in, in parts of this country. Um, where, where, especially in, in a place like Los Angeles, where there is just so much other sports and other entertainment to do, um, goes on to say, that they will face the Midwest champion in another two-game total match, or is what they call it, a two-legged affair, in order to qualify for the National Cup Finals in May. So advancing to the semifinals is Orange County. Uh, they would win 6-4 to four on aggregate. And that would be March 12th and 19th. So the next matchup would be April 2nd in New York. And I have another newspaper article to tell us about that one. April the 2nd here. Uh, let's see here. I had a <laughs> article from uh, April the 2nd. But uh, let's, let's go to that. This was going to be the matchup between the New York Greek Americans and the Blue Star, of course, this one being played at the Metropolitan Oval, aka the Eintracht Oval, uh, which is the home of the game in New York City. New York uh, Greek Americans would advance to the quarterfinals, and not far down the to the semifinals. Excuse me, and not far down the road in Patterson, New Jersey, Patterson Roma will take on the Ukrainian Nationals. The Ukrainian Nationals had beaten the Danube. Uh, they'd beat the Danube Swabian on April the 23rd. I probably should have gone to that match uh, before. So let's let's go through the round of 16 here in order also. I was trying to go in chronological order, and I missed I missed this one here. April 2nd in St. Louis. St. Louis's Kutis um, Soccer Club beat Good Council 2-0. To and that was played in the LeMay district of St. Louis, and they would advance to the quarterfinals and face the winner of April 23rd's matchup between the Milwaukee Brewers, not to be confused with a baseball team that will later come into existence, but the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, who took on the Chicago Kickers, and it would be the Brewers and Kickers playing in Milwaukee. And the Chicago Kickers would come away with the victory 1-0 in that one and advance to the quarterfinals against St. Louis. But before we get after that, I should say, on the same day, April 23rd of 67 is where the Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals beat the Danube, the Danube Swabian 2-1 in Philadelphia. And that takes us to April 30th, and it is Patterson Romas versus Philadelphia Ukrainians sometimes called the Ukrainian Nationals. And we'll look at this one here as the 
This is from the May 1st edition of the Herald News, which is a newspaper uh, covering northern New Jersey. And we take a look here as we have an article. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it up here and talk about it really quickly. And on the upper right-hand corner of the May, Monday, May 1st edition, 1967 of the Herald News, it says Patterson Roma is a blank Philly in the semis, 2-0. And this is special to the Herald News. It says Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is the location of the match. And it says the Patterson Roma's soccer team battled its way into the Eastern Finals of the United States Soccer Challenge Competition Sunday afternoon. Here at Edison Field. And I think the Herald News is actually a Philadelphia paper. I misspoke there. This looks very much like a Philadelphia paper. Anyway, it says the Roma's members, the Romas are members of the American Professional Soccer League. So this is a professional team. Um, the American Professional Soccer League, as we found out last in the last episode is the league that gave the Washington Darts and the Rochester Lancers to the NASL. Um, so the, this team is a full professional team, even though there's no TV. I thought this, I did say at first, I guess I misspoke when I said amateur, but no, the the, the teams in those two uh, quote-unquote top leagues did not partake in this competition, but the teams in the APSL apparently did because that's where the Patterson-Romas came from. And it says they can... They, um, sorry, the Romas are members of the American Professional Soccer League, as are their counterparts, the Philadelphia Ukrainians. And it was a 2-0 decision over the defending cup champions, the Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals. So we find out that the Nationals, the Ukrainian Nationals, excuse me, had won the previous year's edition. And this was played in front of 600 fans at a place called Edison Field in Philadelphia. The Philly Booters. Man, did the press love the word booters here. Uh, defending champs also of the American Professional Soccer League will be missing from the cup finale for the first time in a long spell where they were also the defending kingpins. And maybe th this podcast should have started with the run of the Philadelphia Ukrainians. But it's going to start with the New York Greek Americans instead. The Romas will now face the New York Greek Americans in the Eastern Challenge Cup title game. The survivor then meets the Western title holder for the National Cup honors. The site for the Eastern Finals will be announced later this week. And then the subtitle says Ponce in goal. The Romans with veteran goal goal they don't even say goaltender. They say goalie. Valentin Ponce in the Nets registered their fourth shutout over the last five outings. It also marked the fifth consecutive cup victory for the Passaic County Booters. Okay. Um, and I did think this was a Passaic County newspaper. But um, right next to it is talk of other Philadelphia sports. So uh, I should have done more homework once again on this. But it does say uh, that Tony Vers Versertat pierced the Philly defenders in the 27th minute at the 27-minute mark of the second half for a 1-0 lead. Walter Marcolini found the range for the Roma's second goal after 41 minutes of the first half. The Roma's have now scored victories in Challenge Cup play over the New, New York uh, the Newark, excuse me, Newark Portuguese. 
I've played against them before. The Elizabeth Sport Club, also in New Jersey, and the Newark Ukrainians. You can see that the U Ukrainian American community was very, very um, entrenched in soccer here. I know there was also the Hartford Ukrainians in Connecticut that were also a very strong club. And it says Hartford, Connecticut, S South Americans, and the Boston Tigers. So you see right there that the Romas have gone through one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams to get to the semifinal. The history books only show it from the round of 16, but here the local press uh, lets us in in a little bit more of the history, and it is good stuff. So Patterson-Romas advance to the semifinals, or what they're calling the Eastern Championship. Um, the first leg of that Eastern Championship would be played on May the 14th, all right, and I do have uh, I do have newspaper coverage from May the fifteenth, and this is courtesy of the Daily News. Now, this is a New York publication, the New York Daily News, and it's on page two fifty six. It is buried in the New York Daily News, but understandable, it is New York. And uh, if you look around at all the different um, sports, even all the different soccer coverage, there was. Tons. Every ethnicity had their own league, and they all got you know a little bit of. They got a little blurb in every Monday paper. Well, Monday, May fifteenth, nineteen sixty-seven. It's a small. Uh, it's a small write-up along the left-hand column next to a huge ad for Firestone tires. Listen, off the off the subject, but this ad here in nineteen sixty-seven. Listen to this. It is. It's from Firestone, and it said, Your safety is our business at Firestone. Drive in today for expert car ser service. And it says, Guaranteed bra brake reline Firestone bonded brake linings for $24.88. Guaranteed for 30,000 miles or three years. Install exchange Chevrolets, Dodge, Fords, Plymouths, and American compacts, larger cars, slightly higher. Uh, Twenty-four eighty-eight for brake linings in nineteen sixty-seven. Just something to marvel at at the what inflation has done in the past. How many years is this now? Almost sixty years, fifty-six years to be exact. And it says Greeks take two-nil edge over Roma. Sometimes they're referred to as the Romas. Sometimes they're referred to as simply Roma. Um, I like how the headline just says Greeks. <laughs> that is quite a uh, quite a name for this, this team. But it says the Greek-Americans yesterday whitewashed Roma 2-0 in their first of two National Challenge Cup meetings at Eintracht Oval in Astoria. The teams will tangle again and next Sunday with total goals determining the ulti the ultimate Eastern Division title holders. How they put it very much in American sports uh, vernacular, uh, sounding like it is an NFL or a Major League Baseball uh, setup. And it says the Hellenics drive toward the Big Ten Division crown. This is our okay. So that's all they get. This is still soccer news, but it says Hellenic, which is another Greek team in New York, says they drive towards a Big Ten division crowd in the German American League. So you got a Greek team in a German American League. Uh, was slowed in a surprise 2 0 loss to New York, Hungary. However, Hellenic still sports a one point edge over the runner up, New York Hota. So you see right there, New York is filled with soccer leagues, ethnic soccer leagues. 
And I bet they were paying very good money to these teams uh, and to these players um, to play for their teams and for their social clubs and their, you know, factory teams, whoever, um, because it was very, very competitive in those days. And it wouldn't shock me if a number of players played on multiple teams in multiple different leagues, thus the aliases that we would sometimes hear about. So that was that result, 2-0. Going to the second leg. Meanwhile, on the same day, the same, um, no, sorry. Meanwhile, we would move now to May the 15th, okay? And May the 15th, we'll stay with the daily news. As Actually, this was May the 15th, my bad. Also on May the 15th, can you tell it's late at night? Also on May the 15th in Chicago, the Chicago Tribune reports on the other semifinal and it's on page 73 of the Monday, May 15th, 1967 Chicago Tribune. Right next to the headline where it says that the Cubs lose in 10, and 2-1, and win in 11, 6-3 in a, a doubleheader. Two extra inning games in a doubleheader. Pretty crazy. It also is sandwiched between that and an advertisement for 18 nights of super racing. At the USAC Super Speedway Stock Car Races at Soldier Field uh, is the headline semifinals in soccer open. Chicago kickers advance to the national semifinals of the United States Open Cup competition by eliminating the, the well-playing St. Louis Cooties 2-1 in Winnemac Stadium before more than 700 fans. So you see the crowd's they called it disappointing in LA, but it's consistent. It's about 700 fans at, at 700, 600 fans at these matches. After a scoreless first half, Larry Hausman of St. Louis blasted the ball past the kicker's goalie Joe Lopez to give St. Louis the lead. The goal came in the 57th minute. Although dominating the offense, the kickers did not score until the 75th minute when Heinz Kirsch tipped the ball in from four yards out during a scramble. Involving 12 players in front of the Cooties goal. Emmanuel Backmeyer scored a winning goal on a penalty shot in overtime. And, um, yeah, the Chicago kickers, and you can tell by the names of the players, are a German-American team. You see the dynamic of the game and how the game grew in this country here. All right, so those two matches were played on the same day. One was a quarterfinal, the other was a first leg of a semifinal. So let's move now to the following week. Okay, it is May the 29th, and we're back at the news here. And here we are. This is from Passaic County. This is the Patterson News, excuse me, the Monday, May 29th edition. Again, 1967, and it says Romas, now they're called the Romas, lose Cup Quest. Patterson Romas needing to win the second game of the Eastern Finals of the National Challenge Cup by at least a three-goal margin were blanked by the New York Greek Americans for the second time in a row. 1-0 before a crowd of about 1,000 at Hinchcliffe Stadium Sunday afternoon. Hinchcliffe Stadium is another historic stadium in Patterson, New Jersey. And I do believe it is still there. Hinchcliffe Stadium. It is still there. It it looks like it's been it's been uh, destroyed. It is, it is still there, and um, 
A little news on this. It's a 10,000-seat stadium located in Patterson, New Jersey, and it is part of Patterson's National Historic Landmark uh, Great Falls, surrounded by the city's National Landmark Historic District. Okay, It was a home to Negro League Baseball during America's Jim Crow era, and the stadium was designated a historic landmark in March 2013. Uh, today... The current efforts is the stadium is currently undergoing revitalization with an, an anticipated reopening in 2023. However, corruption at City Hall leading to um, leading to the outing of Mayor Joe Torres, Joey Torres, who had uh, been leading the project, did put a damper on it. But it is confirmed actually here that starting in the 2023 season the new jersey jackals baseball team will be playing at this stadium after moving from the the yogi berra stadium so hinchcliffe stadium still there today okay uh in on this day you see a lot of soccer being played at baseball parks that's where they could get it they would rent the fields obviously and play their matches there um you hear a lot of the same you heard in the last the last article interestingly enough it does say that um it does say that the Greek Americans will face the winner of the Orange County uh, SC and the Chicago Kickers for the National Cup uh, at Los Angeles, it says here. Um, no, it says that the other semifinal is in Los Angeles. A detail of about 17 policemen, this is where this gets fun, was on hand at Hinchcliffe Stadium following the wake of spectator disorders that broke out when the two teams played at New York two weeks ago. A few fist flurries broke out among the players. No big deal. A few few fists went flying on the field, but uh, the crowd remained in order, even though the police escorted members of the Greek-American team to their dressing room at halftime. After playing to a scoreless first half, John Commodes broke the ice for the Greek-Americans by scoring the game's only goal after 20 minutes of play. In the second half, uh, after 20 minutes of play in the second half, it was Commodes who scored the first goal of the New y- for the New Yorkers in their 2-0 victory of the first game of the series. The Romas of the American Soccer League gained their berth in the Eastern Finals by grinding out successful victories, uh, as we hear here, as we heard a week ago. Um, we hear their, uh, or not a week ago, but in the previous round, we heard of their previous victories over the Newark Portuguese, the Elizabeth. Uh, soccer club, the Newark, the Newark uh, Ukrainians, the Hartford South Americans, the Boston Tigers, and of course the defending champion, Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals. So, the dominance of the New York Greek Americans, they are through to the final, and they would face the winner of the June. I want to say it was a June. 5th, it was a yeah June fifth matchup or June fourth matchup. It's from the June fifth edition. Of the Chicago Tribune in the headline on page 69 says LA wins an Open Cup semifinal. Los Angeles gained the finals of the United States Open Cup yesterday with a 1-0 victory over the Chicago Kickers before this is a good crowd. 1,726 in Hanson Park. That's in Chicago, of course. Uh v- again. I'm going to take a shot at the Chicago Fire here to come to the present. If the Chicago Kickers can have 1,726 people on a Sunday afternoon in 1967, the Chicago Fire need to have more than 7,000 people on a Saturday night in 2023. I don't care what the temperature is. 
All right, I digress. The Chicagoans who dominated play missed several opportunities. It says Los Angeles, as they're calling the Orange County team, <laughs> simply as Los Angeles. Los Angeles sparkled by the neutralizing play of Helmut Bick and Werner Mata will meet the New York Greek Americans for the championship. And it says also, the game remained scoreless in 70, for 73 minutes until George Rabbis headed a corner kick from Larry Rodolski into the net. Then it says Backmeyer's hurt. We heard of, we remember Backmeyer from the previous match, and it says the kickers were hurt by the loss of the de- defensive stalwart. Oh, this is a different Backmeyer. Adolf Backmeyer with a dislocated shoulder in the second half. Ouch. In a preliminary contest, goals by Gene Andrusen and Bo. Bo Rudziak gave the Wings a 2-1 victory in the Ram. This is a whole different league. Um, it just it just goes from one match into another. It's talking about different teams now. It's talking about the Wings and the Rams. And in the junior competition, it says Atlas beat the Lions 4-1. Um, I'm assuming this is all soccer here in the Chicago Tribune. But again, Chicago, I don't care what the Chicago Fire complain about. I don't care what Major League Soccer wants to say. Chicago is a soccer town. It is their it is their job to get to get these people out. It's their job to put themselves in a situation just like New England. Um, it's the job of both of those franchises to to bring the people out. Okay, I digress. Let's go to the final. We are running. Uh, we're at almost an hour, and I thought I was going to do this whole episode in an hour. And we're not half, even halfway through. I'm probably going to pull the plug early tonight. I guess we're just going to talk about 1967 today. Um, we move to the final now in the interest of time. And in the final, of course, we have the New York Greek Americans after a two-legged win. So, again, I don't understand why sometimes they play two legs and sometimes they play one. I'm assuming if the teams are a certain distance apart, they play one match. And if they're close enough, they play two is what it looks like. But we move to July. And it, the, it was July 23rd was the day of the final at the Eintracht slash Met Oval. Um, and it's a very small write-up in the Daily News. Again, there's so much to cover in New York City sports. I almost can uh, can uh, can I can almost um, understand it. Although you expect it to be a little bit uh, a little bit more celebrated. But all it says is it's a tiny little article. The way they covered it looks like they covered the local matches a little bit uh, better. So I think because. Uh, the Greek Americans are playing against a team from California. It gets three, two paragraphs, and all it says is the GA, standing of course for Greek American Booters, their favorite word here, win the Challenge Trophy, and it just says the Greek Americans won the National Challenge Cup Soccer Trophy yesterday by crushing Orange County four to two at the Eintracht Oval. The Californians scored after six minutes, but Peter Islahoudi one more time, Isla Uhidis tied it with a header six minutes before halftime. I apologize to uh, my. I apologize for my butchering of that last name. By the way, I did not mean to be offensive there. Uh, the Eastern Division champs, John Cosmides, scored twice. Of course, uh, Greek names can be very difficult to to pronounce. I'm familiar with a number of them, but these are new ones for me. Scored twice on a hard-kicked goal 
Very good writing there. And George Nanos added another to ice the game. And uh, no no photo or anything, which is disappointing. I would have liked to seen a photo of the Greek-Americans with the trophy. But the Greek-Americans win the 67 Open Cup or National Challenge Cup, as we call it. Um, moving on then from the U.S. Open Cup, of course, uh, I didn't ex- like I said, I didn't expect to spend an entire hour. I thought I could do this whole episode in an hour. Now we're going on an hour and three minutes. Um, and I am just done with the U.S. Open Cup 1967. But in 1967, I will add also that the United States national team did not play any internationals. Okay, And USSF was also concerned about possible sanctions from FIFA due to the NPSL's renegade status. We talked about that in the first couple episodes. Um, before it merged to make the NASL, there were two leagues. FIFA granted a sanctioning to the United Soccer Association, which ironically just imported entire teams from Europe, while the Amer- the actual American League did not get sanctioned. And due to that, uh, U.S. soccer was very afraid that they could have been suspended from international play. Of course, um, the World Cup 1970, I don't know how much of a possibility it was. It looks like this is going to, we're going to have to wait until a next uh, episode to talk about this. Um, what I'm going to do then, I'm, I know I said in the beginning where this episode was going to go, but where we're going to go instead here is we're going to stick with the Greek Americans and we're going to run through their Open Cup run. And in the next episode, we will talk about the St. Louis Billikens and the U.S. national team. And, um, yeah, this this podcast gets longer by the week. Um, what was going to be a, cu- a couple months is a couple years to maybe many years now because, uh, um, yeah, you get through it. And next thing you know, an hour and five minutes have gone by. So let's go to the next year. Let's go to 1968 and in the 1968 tournament. Um, again, won by the New York Greek Americans. They would this time not get a buy out of the round of 16. The Greek Americans would beat uh, the same. They would beat the same Blue Star team in the this time in the round of 16 that they had beaten in the previous year's quarterfinals. Um, I do have articles for that, but in the interest of time, I'm going to save some time here and just run down some results for you. You get the idea of how the game was covered. Uh, In another round of 16 match, also in New York, it was the New York Ukrainians taking on Eintracht, and of course, obviously a German-American team versus a Ukrainian-American team here. And the New York Ukrainians would win 3-0 to advance to the quarterfinals, which they would play on March the 24th against the Greek-Americans at the Metropolitan Oval. Meanwhile, uh, Philadelphia's Ukrainian Nationals get a bye to the quarterfinals, while in Buffalo, Simon Pure takes on the Harmaville Hurricanes. The official history books here, even the the Open Cup's official website, don't give a result. But it does say that Simon Pure would advance to take on the Ukrainian Nationals. That would also apparently take place on March the 24th. On March the 17th in San Francisco, AAC Totonia would beat the Seattle Hungarians. We met them in the 67 edition. Uh, this time, Tetonio would beat them 4-3 to in advance to the quarterfinals. Um, to face 
the Los Angeles Soccer Club, who had back in February in Torrance, California, beaten the Hollywood Stars. I think they're in they're still in existence as well. The Hollywood Stars. I think Jurgen Klinsmann actually played for them under an alias in the late 2010s or in the late 2000s uh, before becoming U.S. Men's National Team coach. Uh, somewhere between his his uh, or maybe it was before he became the German National Team coach. But anyway, uh, those are two teams that still exist. And uh, LASC Los Angeles Soccer Club would win four nil and advance to a quarterfinal against AAC. Totonia uh, in Chicago, Chicago Olympic this year would get the would get in and not the Chicago kickers, but it would be the against the same Milwaukee Brewers. And this time Chicago Olympic would beat the Brewers three nil while St. Louis's Bush Bavarian would play a team called LNL. And Bush Bavarian would win two to one. Now we have quarterfinals. The first one was played March the 24th in Queens. It was the New York Ukrainians taking on the Greek Amer- the New York Greek Americans. Three no win for the Greek Americans there, advancing to the semifinals and a date with uh, you know the powerful Philadelphia side returning to the semifinals. The Philadelphia Ukrainian Nationals, they would beat Simon Pure, whoever Simon Pure is, 2-0, and they would play two legs in the semifinal between Philadelphia and New York, May 12th and May 19th. Before that, in April 14th, first leg between LASC and Teutonia would finish 3-1 in favor of LASC. The second leg would go to San Francisco on April the fourth, on the April the twenty eighth, and LASC, despite losing two to one, would advance on aggregate, and it would be four to three. Uh, they would meet Chicago Olympic in the semifinals after Chicago Olympic would travel to St. Louis and beat Bush Bavarian two to one. So we get to June sixteenth. Um, but before we get to June 16th, actually, we have two matches uh, between New York and Philadelphia. Two epic matches. Let's uh, let's go to that one here. And let's talk about this for a moment. We have... We're talking in June, of course. And here's from the Daily News. As This is from the final, actually. Let's uh, backtrack just a bit here. My notes are all over the place. May 12th is what we're looking for. So it's the May 13th edition of the Daily News. And again, a very tiny, tiny write-up. The Daily News not giving soccer much. Well, they're giving soccer plenty uh, of ink, actually, because one column over, it is soccer coverage of the NPSL. Uh, or of the newly founded, excuse me, newly founded NASL that we talked about in episode 2. The, it says the Toronto Falcons defeat the New York Generals 3-2. Despite Perot's two goals, so there is, and there is actually standings and scores here. It shows that, and this is Monday, May thirteenth, nineteen sixty-eight. It shows yesterday's results in soccer. It has Toronto three, Generals two, Atlanta four, Boston one, Los Angeles one, San Diego nil, Oakland one, Vancouver nil, and it shows the Eastern. It shows the standings. The Atlantic Division shows Atlanta in the lead with. Six wins, two losses, and one one tie. 53 points, of course, with that wacky uh, point scoring we talked about. And it shows the Lakes Division, Cleveland leading that, and so forth. But anyway, we're talking about the U.S. Open Cup here. And it says the Greek-American or the G.A. Booters, Ook, 
what are Nats a tie. So it there is a tie in the first leg. Uh, so we're using, you know, we use a little bit of a, how do I say this? Ethnic slurs almost. They're light slurs to fit into the confines of a newspaper spread. Uh, we've seen them called the Greeks. Now they're calling the Ukrainians the Uknats. Um, I suppose it's not offensive. Uh, the Greek Americans and the Ukrainian nationals will be going into their second meeting of the Eastern final of the National Challenge Cup soccer competition. Even on even terms, clashing in the opener of the two-game home-and-home playoff. The teams wound up in a two-two deadlock in Philadelphia yesterday. The Greeks are the defending champions. The Ooks had won on four previous occasions. Uh, so maybe there'll be a bonus episode somewhere in the future. I keep promising more stuff, I know. Uh, <laughs> covering the Ukrainian Nationals' uh, dominance in the four years leading up to this three-year dominance from the Greek Americans. But anyway, anyhow, uh, they'll meet again next Sunday. On To the right of that, you see more soccer scores. You see the National Challenge Cup at the top, Greek American 2, Ukrainian Nationals 2. And then you have the German-American League, Big Ten Division, Eintracht 1-0 over Juliana and Blue Star uh, 3-3 with New York Ukrainians. Those are two teams that the New York uh the New York Greek Americans had gone through earlier in this in this in this competition. More teams here, all again, all uh, ethnic names: Shamrock versus Kolping, Brooklyn versus Austria, Newark versus Hoboken, Elizabeth versus Spring Valley. So sometimes you have the town name, sometimes you have the ethnic name: German Americans versus Bridgeport and Passaic versus Halidon. And then in the lowest division, the league division, you have Kingston. And White Plains further up in New York. Uh, College Point versus Poughkeepsie. And Dalmatnak versus American Cheslovak. Yeah. A Long Island, there's Long Island scores as well. And then a National League, which includes Brooklyn Celtics, Polonia Greenwood, Maccabi, Genoa, Calabria, Torrance, uh, Pozzalo, Fordham, Fordham Italians, Fiorentina, Internapoli. Brooklyn Italians, a club still in existence today, uh, versus Mazzara, Mount Vernon versus New York Italians, Cabrini versus Corona, and Dobbs Ferry versus Cantazaro. All right, so there is lots of soccer in New York, and, uh, well, because there's so much of it, nobody really gets all that much coverage. But uh, we will move forward then in the action here, and we will go to the 20th of May, and on the in the twentieth of May edition of the Daily News, we have Greek Americs nip Ukes one nil. That is all they can fit, and this is a tiny little write up. The Greek Americans advanced within touching distance of repeating as national champions um, by downing the Ukrainian Nationals of Philadelphia one nil before three thousand at the Oval in Astoria yesterday. The triumph gave the Greeks an overall three two advantage in the two game total, and this. In the two-game total goal series determining open play since the teams played to a 2-2 standoff last Sunday in Philadelphia. So let's go to the final then. Or let's take a look actually at the other semifinal. That was a June 16th outing. And it is in the June... No, I don't have an article from the Chicago Tribune. Or do I? Let's see. What do I have here? I have... 
Yep. So we have the first leg. So the final in this one will be played over two legs, it looks like. Let me confirm that. Yes, this time the final of the Open Cup will be played over two legs. Chicago Olympic, who beat LASC 2-1 in the semifinal in Chicago, would host the first leg against New York Greek American. That is what I have here for June the 22nd in the Chicago Tribune. And they give a little bit more ink to soccer. They give it a little more prestige. The act fact, this page 67 is almost all soccer here. Um, yeah, it's only it's even got some European soccer coverage here. And um, so here we have the, it's the 22nd of July, 1968, perhaps. Uh, there must have been some international play going on. Normally, there wasn't soccer in the, at that time in Europe. But anyhow, you have Olympics tie New York on last-minute shot one-to-one. This is written by Abe Korshower of the Chicago Tribune. It says Alex Alex Naltanis scored with a minute left to play to give the Chicago Olympics. I think we have a Greek versus Greek matchup here. Um, with the name Olympics, it does suggest that this is another Greek Olymp uh, Greek American team, this time from Chicago. And if I may profile uh, Mr. Naltanis by his last name, it sounds like we have we have a couple of Greek teams. I'm sure this got very, very heated very quickly because this is what happens in ethnic leagues. It's actually worse when the, the two teams come from the same ethnicity. That is in my experience playing in ethnic leagues even in the 2000s. Okay, so you have him here given the 1-1 tie against the New York Greek Americans. This is played in Hanson Park. In Chicago, uh, in the opener of the two-game series for the National Open Cup soccer title, after a scoreless first half in 93-degree weather. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's when we play in the United States. I played in many a amateur match um, in July in that type of weather. New York tallied at three minutes into the second half on Jim Manos. Says high lobbing shot that bounced off the outstretched hands of the Olympic goalkeeper. Neltani scored from four yards out in deadlocking the contest. The two teams will meet again uh, next Sunday in New York. And it goes on to tell you some more about some more Chicago uh, local contests. A team called Nikaxa playing St. Gabriel's and Liths playing uh, someone else here in what's something called the Peel Cup. Okay, let's move on then. Let's get to the 68 final, 29th of July, the Daily News. It's, again, a tiny write-up. Come on, New York Daily News. You can do better than this. Uh, the Greek Ameri It just says, Greeks down Olympic. 1-0. The Greek-Americans defeated Olympic of Chicago 1-0 yesterday at Eintracht Oval in Astoria. In the second game of a two-game total goal series in the National Challenge Cup competition, the teams played to a 1-1 tie in Chicago last week. The victory enabled the New York club to retain the trophy uh, captured last year. Bob Hansos scored for the Greek Americans in the first half from a melee in front of the goal after taking a pass from George Rossette. And that is all they say. And again... There is no picture of the champions, no picture of the cup winners hoisting the Dewar Cup. And um, come on, New York Daily News. I feel like if it was a different, if Chicago had won, we would have had a lot more coverage on these matches. Um, but that is where 68 finished. Let's go to 69 then and round out this episode. Okay. 
69, it was once again the Greek Americans, and they would this time start off uh, at home against, once again, the same team they seem to play in the first round every year. It is Blue Star that we now know is from the local German-American league. Um, And it is the Greek Americans with a 3-1 victory this time as uh, they advance to the the quarterfinals and would again face the same team as in the previous year, the New York Ukrainians, who would beat Hota 2-0. This would be a two-legged affair in March for the quarterfinals. Other quarterfinal matchups, you have Hellenic, also of New York, taking on Gachi, who beat the German-Hungarians 3-2. They would play a one-legged tie. This is very interesting how sometimes they play two legs, sometimes they play one. It looks like it's certain agreements, and it's when it's certain cities against each other. Um, In the other side of the bracket, a March 23rd round of 16 match in San Francisco saw the San Francisco Scots beat the Heidelberg Beer 2-1 to advance to the quarterfinals, while the Montebello Armenians would beat a team called Croatia. This is down in the L.A. area. The Montebello Armenians win that 5-2. to two. They advance to take on the San Francisco Scots in a two-legged affair April 27th and May the 4th between uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Meanwhile, in the Midwest portion, Hansa would beat Polonia 2-0, while St. Louis Kutis was back, and they would beat... Uh, Good Council 1-0 to set up a one-legged quarterfinal on May the 17th. So in chronological order, we have two matches here in 1969 um, in New York. As I will pull up what I have for for that. And it looks like I skipped straight through to the final. So uh, we, we know that we know that Greek-American advanced over Ukrainian. And we know... We find out that Hellenic also advanced as I look at the official website for this competition here, uh, the 1969 Cup. Even the official website shows only the final, and it doesn't even give a date. So um, I was able to get a little more than that. So in the semifinals in Queens, a one-legged affair, and it looks like an all-Greek affair, judging by the names. The New York Greek Americans beat Hellenic 3-0 to advance to the final. While on June the 8th, so it looks like here the Greek Americans won their semifinal March 30th. It looks like they got these Eastern games done in the coldest part of the year. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but it probably was scheduled around their league uh, action. While out west, where it's hot, they played in June. And on June 8th, Montebello Armenians beat Hansa 2-1 to advance to a June 29th final in L.A. between Montebello Armenians and New York uh, Greek Americans. So the Arizona Republic is actually the only paper where I found anything about this. So uh, thank you, Arizona Republic. It is Monday, June 30th, 1969. Headline of page 45, right next to the the, the spread. The middle shows uh, Davis Cup talks scheduled or open Davis Cup talks scheduled. 
And it's all about golf here on the front, but uh, on the far left-hand side. It says, New York Greek Americans win soccer cup. This is from the Associated Press, Los Angeles. It says, the New York Greek Americans became the first team to win the U.S. Open Soccer Cup. So we see both names, the Open Cup and the Challenge Cup uh, used here, depending on the publication. But they are the first team to win the cup three years in a row when they nipped the Montebello Armenians yesterday 1-0. The only other time Montebello played in the finals was in 1963 and it lost by an identical score. The goal came in the last 90 seconds of the 90-minute match on a warm summer afternoon in Rancho Cienega Stadium. Okay, I don't know much about Rancho Cienega Stadium. I'll do a quick Google search here. I'm not sure if anything will come up. Let's take a look real quick. Rancho Cienega Stadium. It's coming up with a place in... Okay, so Rancho Cienega is a 8,918-acre Mexican land grant in present-day... Or it was a in present-day San Benito County... And as I look at this, San Benito County is not in Los Angeles. It's not near Los Angeles. It's in San Benito. So this cannot be related. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with it. But anyway, um, this match was played in in that stadium, Rancho Cienega. And it was a goal scored by Dennis Nanos on a header after taking a pass headed from Nick Tornorezos. Since play of the cup began in 1914, many teams have captured two championships, but none have done the three-peat. The Greek-Americans defeated Orange County 4-2 in 67 and Chicago Olympic 2-1 last year. Montebello had lost its only other cup championship game, bowing to the Philadelphia Ukrainians 1-0 in 1963 in Philadelphia. And this is next to a golfer. There's a picture of a golfer named Charles Cootie, the Cleveland Open champion. But that is what we have. We have images, action photos of baseball. Uh, it is the Oakland A's Reggie Jackson being tagged out at the plate by the Chicago White Sox catcher Don Pavlovich. The umpire was Larry Barnett. Why do I say that? Just to put in context, uh where American sports was here. And that takes us through the story of the New York Greek Americans. Like we said, they would return to the Open Cup. And maybe we will visit them again for the 1974 edition. But again, this cl club is still in attendance today. I was hoping to get to the NCAA uh, championships and the run of the St. Louis Billikens. And also talk about the U.S. national team. What I will do is quickly cover the U.S. national team. Um, in this time frame, okay, I do have a list of all of their matches here. Um, and I also have a 1968, it looks like I have a, a newspaper article of a 1968 match. Um, and the only thing I could find in newspapers was from a friendly, which was played at Yankee Stadium, and it's from 
Monday, September 16th, 1968, in the Standard Star newspaper, and it just says, U.S. booters, there's that word again, tie Israelis, and then it says from the Associated Press, Pete Miller's second goal with 5.54 left, climaxed an uphill uh, struggle as the U.S. World Cup soccer team, as they were being called, uh, tied the Israeli national team 3-3 before 10,118 spectators at Yankee Stadium. That is a good turnout in 1968 for soccer for a U.S. team that had not been to the World Cup since 1950. And to be quite honest with you, when they were at the World Cup in 1950, nobody noticed. Nobody cared. Um, there's a, there is a, I forget who said this, but I heard a, a soccer historian talk about the U.S. victory in 1950 over England in that World Cup, which was maybe the biggest upset in World Cup history at that time. And maybe today, I don't know, we'll We'll cross that bridge someday when I finally start my World Cup rewatch uh, podcast. But um, what this guy said was was very interesting, and it said the this was the first World Cup the English participated in, and they had a very elitist view of themselves, and they thought that the idea of playing against other countries in their game was just ridiculous. So the English didn't care. They didn't view the World Cup as anything important. They didn't pay any attention to it. And the Americans didn't pay any attention to it either. Of course, this is post-World War II. And the anti-soccer, anti-European sentiment was was setting in. Anti-communist sentiment as well has something to do with it. But here we are 18 years later and we get 10,000 fans at Yankee Stadium to see the U.S. take on Israel. Um... Given that it is New York and there is a very large Jewish American population in New York, I'd be, I'd actually maybe should be less surprised. And I'm going to assume that there was a fair amount of Israeli fans at Yankee Stadium that day. But it also says making its international debut, the U.S. team fell behind 3-0 in the first half. But Willie Roy of the Kansas City Spurs of the North American Soccer League broke the ice at 49-28 of the final half with an assist uh, from Miller. Miller then scored at 78-42 before his tying goal with five minutes left. So that is all I could really find in the little while I searched for U.S. men's national team stuff. But I do have some results that I did track down. All right. And um, I have a list of results. This is from the Society of American Soccer History on their website, www.ussoccerhistory.org. And then it is U.S. men's national team results, 1951 to 1969. Let's take a look at the years we talked about tonight and see where the national team was here uh, before I dismiss class for another week. And I think I'm going to put my goal now is I'm going to try to get the other half of what was supposed to be in this episode out before next Thursday so we can catch up. Uh, I know I'm giving myself a lot of work here and I um, may not be able to come through, but we'll see what comes out in the next week. Stay tuned to the podcast feed. September 15th, 1968, we have it here, the 2-2 draw, uh, 3-3 draw, excuse me, with Israel. Ten days later in Philadelphia in front of 7,161, the U.S. would lose 4-0 
to Israel. U.S.'s uh, lineup in that one, Gary DeLong, Helmut Colford, who would be replaced by Joe Specka, Eddie Clear, who would be replaced by Larry Hausman, Bob Gansler, future national team manager here playing for the national team, um, Nick Kratt, Adolf Backmeyer, we met him not a, that long ago playing in the Open Cup. So you see where some of these American uh, national team players, they're not all playing in the NASL. Um, Siegfried Streetsy, Dietrich Albrecht, William Roy, Peter Miller, and Miguel Magzlowski uh, were the starters in that one. Then you fast forward to World Cup qualifying. Okay, this is for World Cup Mexico 70. This was always going to be a tough, tough task because Mexico qualified automatically in those days. CONCACAF only got two. This was the first time I think that CONCACAF got two bids instead of one. Um, so all of these countries in CONCACAF are playing for one bid that, if I'm not mistaken, would eventually go to El Salvador. But you have here at Varsity Stadium in Toronto in front of 5,959. It would be the USA losing 4-2 to Canada. I'll run through these these lineups real quick. Um, it actually says the scorers. He, uh, let's go through the lineups first. Uh, for Canada, Peter Greco in goal. Jim Barry, Samuel Lenarduzzi, uh, a name that will also come up. Um, an there's another Lenarduzzi that will show up later in the 70s for Canada and for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Tony Lecce, Umberto Di Luca, Alan Harvey, Johnny Kerr, Ralph McPat, Tibor Vug, Nick Papadakis, who would be replaced by Norman Patterson and Sergio Zanata. Those were the players for Canada. USA would again go with Gary Long in goal. Helmut Colfer, Eddie Clear, Adolf Backmeyer, Bob Gansler, Nick Kratt, Peter Miller, Jerry Baker, William Roy, Siegfried Streetsy, and Diedrich Albrecht, who would be replaced by Larry Hausman. Of course, Canada would win goals here from... Ralph McPat, he'd have two. Norman Patterson and Tibor Vig would add one each. And then William Roy and Siegfried Striesel would score for the U.S. Uh, November 20th, a month later, the U.S. would travel to Haiti to Porto Prince to play at the Stadio Silvio Cator in front of 7,284. And actually, this was not a qualifier. This was a friendly. And the U.S. would go with literally the same guys. Uh, no new names here. They would win 6-3. The goals, two goals would be scored by Peter Miller, two by Diedrich Albrecht, and two by Willie Roy. In October 21st, another friendly. Um, why are these out of chronological order? I don't know. Come on, USSoccerHistory.org. But Haiti would beat the United States 5-2 before that, uh, also in Port-au-Prince. And uh, a totally different U.S. team, it looks like, or at least a different goalkeeper. Victor Gurley would be the goalkeeper. And then the rest, uh, we got Helmut Colfer again, Alfred Kickle, Bob Gansler, Nick Kratt, Gene Tober, Nary, Larry uh, Hausman, Siegfried Stritzel, Peter, Peter Miller, William Roy, and Jim Benedict. October 23rd, another friendly with Haiti. This one, the Haitians would win 1-0. Um, same guys, basically, except Gary DeLong returns in goal. October 27th, we got another World Cup qualifier. We're at Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium. 2,727 is all that came out for this one. You can see the national team was not as popular as uh, the the 
Actually, that's right in line with the average attendance for a, a NASL game in 68. But uh, the U.S. would go with Sandy Fahar. Fahir here as the goalkeeper. Adolf Backmeyer, Bob Gansler, Eddie Clare, Nick Kratz, Carl Gentili, Eddie Murphy, Peter Miller, Jerry Baker, Willie Roy, Siegfried Sturzel, and Dietrich Albrecht. And Canada would go with Bill Harper, Jim Berry, Samuel Leonard Duzzi, Tony Lecce, Umberto De Luca, Alan Harvey, Johnny Kerr, Ralph McPat, Tibor Vig, Nick Papadakis, Replaced again by Norman Peterson and Harold Hansen. This time the United States would win 1-0 on a 50th minute goal from Diedrich Albrecht. Uh, November 2nd of 1968, the United States would play another World Cup qualifier in Kansas City. And they would beat Bermuda 6-2 here. Uh, virtually the same team. Goals by Roger Miller. He had a hat trick in this one. Jerry Baker had two. Winston Trot would score one for Winston Trot. Excuse me, would score one for Bermuda. So would Clyde Best, and uh, and that would make it six to two. All right. So a return match, another World Cup qualifier. We're not done yet in 1968. Uh, another World Cup qualifier, and the United States would travel to Bermuda this time to their national stadium, and they would win 2-0 on goals from Rudolph Smith and Willie Roy. Moving into 1969, really quickly here, uh, the United States would lose a World Cup qualifier to Haiti after losing all those friendlies to a, a goal by Joseph Obas for the Haitians and by Gilles Saint-Ville in the 54th minute. 2-0 the loss. This was a little bit bruising. And then the U.S. dreams of World Cup 70 would end in the next. This is, was a knockout tie, so this is the second leg here. The United States would lose at home in San Diego to Haiti. Again, Guy Saint-Ville uh, would score for the Haitians. This time, Orest, Orest Banak would be the goalkeeper for the United States. So there is some uh, undecidedness in goal for the United States. Probably a matter of who was available and who wasn't. It couldn't have been easy for these players, especially if they were not playing in the NASL, to get to these different locations. Um, but this was prepared and maintained by Ed Farnsworth, this website. Uh, thank you, Ed Farnsworth. Thank you, USsoccerhistory.org. For posting these results, uh, the I don't I'm not sure exactly when these were last updated, but um, the Society for American History, which I believe I'm a member of, actually I think I signed up and became a paying member this year. Not sure, but uh, I believe I did become a member this year. Uh, thank you for that. That is where the national team sat, and that was the very short uh, run. Um, in hopes of qualifying for Mexico 70. Mexico 70 will also be mentioned briefly on this podcast and in greater detail on a different show that I will launch later this year. All right, that I think is long enough. Let's, um, let's get our things together and we'll be back next time for another episode of Birth of a Soccer Nation with me here, the Mr. Mike Agustinho. Follow me on Twitter at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. Follow the network on Instagram and Twitter at PTB underscore media. Okay. And I will be posting some photos um, as we go. And um, look for a new episode soon, hopefully before next Thursday. And also a, a review of that friendly that I 
that I talked about last week. That's it. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I know it didn't go the way I planned. This uh, took longer than expected. But uh, I hope you enjoyed learning about the New York Greek Americans in the U.S. Open Cup slash National Challenge Cup as well as uh, hearing a few results of our men's national team. Next episode, we'll talk about the St. Louis Billikens dominance in the late 60s. And then we will bear... We will bid farewell to the 1960s and go into the 1970s. This is Birth of a Soccer Nation, a uh, production of the PTV Media Network. The Mr. Michael Ustinu signing off. Class is dismissed. <laughs>